The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Like double dog dare ya! Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, no f***ing now? Tuesday edition of PFTPM, six days until PFT Live returns. NBCSN, Sirius XM 211, et cetera, et cetera. That's Monday, July 20. Sims and I will be back at it for now. Just me going over the things happening in the NFL. And there is some news today. Chris Jones, the Chiefs defensive lineman, a key part of that team. A guy that they need to keep around. A guy that it looked like maybe they would not get a long-term deal done with. A guy who was making noise about sitting out the entire season. None of that will happen because... A long-term deal is in place. A four-year deal, contrast with the 12-year contract that Patrick Mahomes signed last week. Four years, $80 million. That's $20 million per year. I'm told it's the same basic structure as the Mahomes deals with functional guarantees that make it harder to cut him. Here's the cash flow, as I understand it. $16.126 million in year one, $21.5 million in year two, $22.374 million in year three and $20 million in year four. Of that amount, $55.75 million fully guaranteed at signing. And then that's roughly 70% of the deal, likewise, being fully guaranteed by the second year of the contract. So, look, this guy's good enough. They're not going to let him go. He got a four-year deal. It's always smart to do a shorter term and get back to the table because by the time you get to – year three, four, five, anyway, of a long-term deal. If the team isn't happy with how you're performing, they're going to tear it up. They're going to squeeze you to take less. They're only going to keep that deal going if they think it's a good deal for them because it's a one-way contract after you get past those first few years. Mahomes has decided to commit for 12. Jones commits for four. No guarantee he's still going to be a superstar in four years. But again, if he wasn't a superstar in four years and he signed for longer than that, they would just rip the deal up and move on. So good news for the Chiefs. They're holding it all together. Jones goes on to Twitter and says the Chiefs are building a dynasty, and that kind of reminds me of the Vince Young Dream Team remarks from nine years ago. Look, you're already going to be the hunted. You're already going to be a team that everyone is trying to knock off, and you learned last year how hard it is to ultimately win the whole thing. The Chiefs needed to come from behind in every one of their playoff wins. Double digit come from behind in every one of their postseason wins, including in the Super Bowl down 10 points with seven minutes left in the game. So be careful because it is still difficult, even with the greatest quarterback in the NFL and even with a tremendous defensive lineman like Chris Jones. It is still incredibly difficult to win a Super Bowl championship. And In most cases, you give me the defending champion or the field, I'm taking the field. And this year, I'm definitely taking the field because there's too much craziness going on in the NFL to feel good about anybody being able to solve whatever it is 
that the NFL is going to have thrown at it between the normal uncertainty that any team faces and the extra layer of uncertainty arising from the pandemic. Cleveland Browns also poised to make news, reportedly close to a deal with Miles Garrett, the first overall pick in the 2017 draft. Patrick Mahomes has gotten his 10-year extension. Garrett, according to NFL media, looking at a five-year, $125 million extension. That's $25 million per year in new money. We'll have to look very carefully at the structure, at the guarantees, the three main factors, signing bonus, full guarantee at signing, and cash flow the first three years. The Mahomes deal, not good on any of those three counts in comparison to other great contracts. Oh, and he's still signed for nine years after that. We'll see how good the Miles Garrett deal is. And anytime any of these big deals are getting done in a pandemic, it's impressive. And and also it makes me it makes me think the deal had better be damn good for the team because with all the uncertainty, it's hard to cough up huge money. And maybe you could argue Miles Garrett should have played it out a little bit, but we'll wait and see. Number one, when the deal becomes final. Number two, what the details actually are. We learn time and again not to get infatuated by those initial reports that make the deal seem bigger and more impressive and better for the player than maybe it really is when we have a chance to fully scrutinize it. But at least for now, the two sides working toward a deal that would keep Miles Garrett in Cleveland for up to seven more seasons if they choose to keep him around once it gets to the year-to-year team option that usually unfolds after the first few years of a contract. Another guy who signed a deal today who is not a young player looking to secure his long-term financial uh, future, but a guy who's been around for a while and a guy who was a free agent and a guy who we didn't think was going back to Philadelphia, but he is. With Brandon Brooks lost for the year with a torn Achilles tendon and the Eagles needing help at the offensive line, Jason Peters returns as a guard, not a tackle, as a guard. Deal reportedly worth up to $6 million with a base of $3 million on that one-year contract. And this makes a ton of sense for the player. I mean, think about it. You're 38 years old. You've been with one team, not your entire career, but he's been with the Eagles for a long time. He got started with the Buffalo Bills. Do you really want to uproot your life in this situation? Do you want to move into one of the cities that may be a COVID-19 hotspot? Do you want to go to a new facility when this year everything is going to be turned upside down because of the virus? Or do you want to just stay where at least you have that familiarity, at least you have that consistency, and at least there will be something that feels quasi-normal in this season that will be anything but normal. Eagles had a need, and I think from Peter's perspective, it made sense to stick around in the place that he's been because it really feels like a strange time to be thinking about making a move, especially late in your career, with everything that's going to be unresolved and uncertain as training camp approaches. And as training camp approaches, the NFL and the NFL Players Association still meeting, still talking. It's a deadline-driven business. They don't need to have a deal in place by the end of the week to launch training camp. So it's no surprise that on Monday, not much was done. Look, both sides are kind of inching toward their bottom line positions and figuring out what is going to work. Now, remember, and we've discussed this as it relates to the pandemic rules, the health and safety rules. The league ultimately can say, hey, guys, look. We know that you 
want no preseason games. We know you want daily testing. We know you want an emergency procedures protocol that may be more extensive and willing to do. We don't have to reach an agreement. We can implement the rules. And if you don't like it, you file a grievance and we fight it out in court. And maybe an arbitrator agrees with you. Maybe the arbitrator doesn't agree with you. But there's another side to this. It's the financial side. And let's not lose sight of the fact. And I had someone point this out to me today. You know, I was at the cutting edge of, number one, the fact that there is no force majeure clause in the NFL's CBA. And that's a big deal. Now, obviously, the NFL is not going to shine a light on that because, number one, it's good for the NFLPA that it's not there. And number two, it makes the NFL look kind of stupid, frankly, all due respect. There goes the insult for not having a force majeure clause, for not having something in there that says if games are lost this year, players lose a commensurate amount of salary. It's a very easy fix. Should have been in there all along. If games are canceled, if weeks are canceled, then the players lose the game check that would go along with the week that is forever lost. It's that simple, but it's not in there. There is no force majeure clause in the collective bargaining agreement. The only thing in the CBA is a provision that says if any games are canceled this year, there's an obligation by the two sides to negotiate in good faith next year as to what impact that has on the salary cap. You know what? They negotiate the salary cap every year anyway. So they're already going to do that, right? If they lose a significant amount of money this year, if games are canceled, if no games are canceled, there's no extra obligation to sit and negotiate. If games are canceled, you have to Talk about what that means next year for the cap. And here's the thing. Cap goes down next year whether they miss games or not because of the the reality that fans won't be in the stands. New England Patriots telling their fans to count on only 20% capacity for their games. The Eagles, by all appearances, not able to have any fans at all this year because of the rules that will be in place in Philadelphia for no large gatherings until February. That money is cap. Here's the thing. The teams don't want the salary cap to go down. They don't want to have to start cutting player after player after player for 2021. So it's in their interest to come up with a way to keep the cap high next year. It's in their interest to way to take the losses from this year and smooth them out over a period of time. So there's certainty when it comes to setting budgets, setting cap expectations, and ultimately having enough players they can put on the field. They don't want a reduced salary cap. So the players have a lot of pull here. It's the league that's looking to get some sort of economic relief, and the players don't have to do anything. The only way the players don't get their money this year, don't get every penny of their money this year, is if there are no games at all, and if the argument that the standard player contract which contemplates that weekly salary will be paid starting with the first game, means that if there are no games, there is no salary that's ever paid. That's what the NFL is hanging its hat on. It's very simple. If at least one game is played, the players get everything. If no games are played, the players get nothing. That's the NFL position on that matter. And that's why the players have leverage here, because there should have been a force majeure clause. There should have been something that said, if we have to cancel games this year, there will be an automatic trigger of money flowing back from the players to the teams because the games weren't played. It's that simple. And I don't know whether the NFL ever asked for it. 
But the mere fact that there's a provision in the CBA that contemplates what will happen with the salary cap next year if games are canceled this year, it shows that the subject was at least on someone's mind. And the NBA CBA has the clause that protects the league in the event of a pandemic or some other event that causes games to not be played. So players, we're here all the time. When there's a provision in the CBA that doesn't work for the players, you got people in the media who don't like the NFLPA, who don't like the, and I don't know if they mean they don't like the players, but they they just like to they like to criticize the NFLPA. They just kind of go, well, hey, you should have thought of that when you were bargaining. Well, hey, NFL, you should have thought about this when you were bargaining, or you wouldn't be in a position where the players have so much financial leverage at a time when maybe the health and safety leverage as it relates to the pandemic swings toward the league. And result, the two sides come together and they negotiate something that works for everyone where the NFLPA gives up some of its leverage under the financial aspect of the pandemic and the NFL gives up some of its leverage under the health and safety protocol angle of the CBA as it relates to the pandemic. So we'll see what happens. Another thing to watch, and hey, I think as we get closer and closer to when college football would otherwise be starting and we are getting very close to when college football training camp would start i think we're going to realize and more importantly i think that the people who run college football are going to realize this just can't work it's not going to happen and i'm not rooting for no college football the nfl is definitely rooting for college football to happen they want a normal college football season now if there isn't if it if it if it naturally is canceled through the way that events unfold and college football decides it won't work, then maybe the NFL would push some of the game from Sundays to Saturdays and make back some of its money that way. The NFL hasn't ruled that out. The NFL wants college football to happen, though, as scheduled. The reality, though, is it's looking harder and harder, especially as the virus continues to spread and the demand for testing continues to soar. That's what Quest Diagnostics said yesterday in explaining to people that the turnaround time for tests is going to take even longer now because so many people want tests. How do college football programs cut the line in all of these communities from coast to coast in order to have a system where you are testing guys and testing guys and testing guys repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly and getting the results back? You can't test guys and wait a week to get the results back. Are you kidding me? And if you don't have a robust and aggressive testing procedure, you're going to have outbreaks. These teams are going to get shut down. And I think at the end of the day, and that day is coming, there's going to be a realization by college football that it's just not going to work. Now, there may be some conferences that decide to try. The SEC may say the hell with it. we got too much money at play here. We're going to go forward. But it just feels like they understand deep down the virus is in charge and the virus is winning. And the reason the virus is winning is there are so many people who continue to fail to take the situation seriously. Even as we're at a point, watch the news. We're at a point where the virus is more widespread and uncontained than it ever was in this country. And nobody seems to care. And as some states move towards shutting down bars and restaurants and theaters and like in California, the wineries and the amusement parks, et cetera, people get pissed. Look, if we just would have on a concentrated, collective basis taken this thing seriously when we should have, we wouldn't be in this point. Look at some of the other countries. Look at how they are succeeding. Look at how the virus has been 
contained. We thought it was just going to kind of wash through. And it's why it's not washing through. It's like that washing machine that's in that cycle where it's just churning and churning and churning and churning. And that cycle is not ending anytime soon. And I think college football is going to be lost because of it. Now, to finally get to the point for raising this subject, even if they do play college football, the athletic.com had a very compelling item that focuses on the college football players who are close to saying, screw this, I'm out. The top product and here's the thing. There's always more guys who think they are, that they are top prospects than there are guys who are top prospects. But the guys who think they are top prospects may be tapping out, opting out, right? We've talked a lot about the opt-out rights for NFL players, and that's still something to be fully fleshed out and determined by the league and the union. For college football, you just walk away. I'm done. I'll go hire an agent. I'll go, I'll go sign a contract with a trading card company. I'll sign a contract with Nike. I'll do something to make myself ineligible. See you later. I'm not playing anymore. And if the top guys start doing that, I think if one guy, if a Trevor Lawrence does it, I think that's the first domino and you're going to see a lot of guys do it because why put yourself into the zone of uncertainty where everything is turned upside down, where you have no idea what the quality of the teammate around you is going to be. If you're Trevor Lawrence and you're healthy and you're fine and you're able to play, but guys around you are being quarantined because they're testing positive. See, that's the thing. Even though, and you know, you hear these stats all the time about how college-age people are going to be fine. Now, look, we're talking about college football players. Plenty of these linemen, high BMI, they may have an adverse impact from this. Tony Baselli's son, Florida State offensive lineman, he got sick from it. He just didn't test positive and was asymptomatic and everything was fine. But if you're Trevor Lawrence and you're faced with the possibility that all of a sudden – your first string offensive line is going to be decimated and that's who's going to be protecting you. Makes sense to say, see you later. Haze in the barn anyway, for the same reason we're seeing players skip bowl games, see players shut it down late in the season after maybe an injury that isn't that big of a deal, but they've decided I've had enough. You may see some guys decide that they've had enough and that they're not going to risk their health. They're not going to, risk the injury that would happen if they are playing with substandard teammates and they just don't want to be part of this season that if it happens is going to be even more upside down than what it will be for the NFL. So don't be surprised if those things transpire in the coming days and weeks as college football deals with whether it can pull off the 2020 season. Meanwhile, the NFL continues to try to deal with whether it can pull off the 2020 season. We'll be monitoring it every step of the way. Three more days of PFTPM before PFT Live returns on Monday. All of the updates, all of the information, all of the news as the franchise tag deadline approaches Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That is the moment where long-term deals are either accomplished or anyone with a franchise tag or Kenyon Drake transition tag has to work under a one-year contract only until after the regular season. We'll be tracking that. We'll talk about tomorrow who got a long-term deal and who didn't, and will otherwise be following everything in the NFL at profootballtalk.com. Thanks for some of your time today. Talk to you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 